Hey everyone, I'm Chad Grills, the CEO and founder of Mission.org, and welcome to Investing Week here on Mission Daily. Thanks for listening, and today's episode is brought to you by us at Mission.org. If you're not getting our newsletter yet, you need to. It's incredible, it's curated with love, kindness, and care by our incredible team here at The Mission. Sign up at Mission.org, and we'll see you on the inside. Welcome to Mission Daily. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and I'm back. It's been a while. Been in the wilderness. I have been. I have been searching in the wilderness. Been building up all other uh, dozen shows. (laughs) I've been investing in myself. (laughs) There you uh, go. And our network and our amazing listeners, our award-winning listeners, to borrow a phrase, sitting across from me in a somewhat chilly day in Palo Alto, which means it's about 40 degrees warmer than, than most other places. Chad Grills. It's me. Glad to be back for part two. I thought it was going to be Steph. I thought Steph was going to follow over from part one to part two. She didn't. Yeah, she exited. <laughs> she, <laughs> she exited the podcast. So I worked on on this with you a little bit on the 50 questions article and, and have a lot of thoughts about this stuff. So I, I wanted to pop in a little bit and ask you some of these questions because I think they're super relevant and, you know, we have a lot of founder friends that care about this stuff. And I think it's just really, really, really murky water that is very few people understand. So it's fun to fun to be able to talk to you about it because you've done a lot of research on this and this article that that you wrote did did really, really well, I think for good reason. So let's talk about some of this investing stuff. I'll, I'll start off with a quick anecdote about a famous entrepreneur, Steve Blank, who started, I think, believe seven companies. And he, I forget, exited like four of them or something like that. Yeah, Anyways, I think so. Very famous entrepreneur. And two or three were IPOs. Yeah. yeah, two or three IPOs. Yeah, just extremely successful founder and really smart guy. One of the founding or, you know, one of the people who essentially developed this idea of the lean startup and then Eric Reese ended up, you know, writing a book about it. But what he said was that it took him seven startups to get this. But what he realized is that as a founder, your business model is your investor's business model. And it took him seven companies to learn that. So if you're listening to this, you know, these are so true. And people still don't think that way. Yeah, they really don't. And the reason why is because you think a lot of times you're in the day-to-day mode of building the company, but your investor's day-to-day mode is getting returns for their LPs. And for those of you who don't know what an LP is, it stands for limited partner, but we're, you know, number 29 on this list that you wrote is ask your investors who their LPs are. Why is this important? Well, first of all, the people that are going to get offended, which is probably going to be, I don't know, 90, I'm going to guess like 95%, maybe even higher of investors who get asked that question are not going to want to answer it. Really? Unless you're a friend. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, so a, lot, funny. a lot of people will not ask this question. And VCs, especially in Silicon Valley, are not used to getting this question. They're used to hero worship. That's it. That's generally on balance. That's what their meetings, their meetings are probably break down into 10% of or higher even of people are just absolutely crazy. Another 10% are just not even like close in the ballpark. And then you know, I don't know. Basically, bottom line is like 
they get really, really weird stuff. And then they get some sincere people. And out of those sincere people, very few are willing to have enough courage to ask some uncomfortable questions. And asking who their LPs are is a pretty uncomfortable question. Yeah. And it's the it's the similar or it's the the flip side of the coin of asking someone who their customers are. So if you are at a company, you put your customers on your website, right? Like mm-hmm. who are you? What are your case studies? What are your things? Like who are who are the people who are using your product? Well, kind of the flip side of this for investors, some of them who like to talk about their LP, LPs will say, oh, well, this person is an LP. For other people, they don't like to talk about that because they don't want people to know for various reasons. But the reason why I say that is because when you're doing diligence on buying a product, you're saying, who else bought this? Well, if you're raising money, you should say, who are the people who they are beholden to? Who are the people who they're trying to make money for? And and you say in the article, making these people or institutions more money. Why is that important? That's what you're going to be doing. That's what you're going to be working extremely hard for, for the next uh, X, you know, on average seven to 10 years. That's going to be your life. And it's not going to be at the forefront of your life. It's not going to be there every day. But if you're the type of person who's going to have success in business, then you're the type of person that is uh, analytical and imaginative enough to think, okay, one day I'm going to be old and I'm going to look back and I'm going to have a bunch of partnerships. What did those partnerships do? What did they accomplish in the world? Or what did they uh, perpetuate? Or what type of status quo did they leave in place? Because there are a lot of places to get money in the world. There are many different regimes. There are many, most nation states have what's called like a sovereign wealth fund. And these are the places where large amounts of capital are. And you're going to be working for them. And part of this is that, do you want this person talking about you for the rest of their life? Like if your company is successful, they're going to say, I was an early investor in blank. There's, they're not going to be shy about that. <laughs> no, they're not. Sure. And so it's just it's just one of these things like, you know, if you have any type of long term relationship with anyone that you can't get out of. Yeah. You need to think about these things of like, is this the person that I want talking about this for the rest of their life that this happened? Yeah. It's um, like, do you want your kids to live in a world where that power becomes even more powerful? Yes or no? That was a little bit of the uh, that was a little bit of the uh, the scary part of the questions to ask investors, but <laughs> but we say that also with like the upside in mind too, right? Like definitely because yeah, if there is a mission driven group of people, or you know, if you know that the money is coming from an entrepreneur that you really like and respect, or an institution maybe that you really like and respect, that could be powerful too. So if you're you know Stanford. I'm not a fan of certain aspects of higher education, but Stanford is one example in particular where that is a institution that has provided immense value to the world. I don't really care how you want to quantify it. They've been at the forefront of many different things and they've helped out in a huge way because I mean, when they got started, it was just apple fields and orchards basically in the surrounding area. And so if you talk to an investor and you figure out that their LP is uh, Stanford's endowment, okay, like that's, I mean, that's something I can get behind. So, yeah. And, you know, on a on an episode a while ago when I talked to Brandon Shelton. So shout out to Brandon because he's a friend. But it's just, you know, like sitting down and talking to him about like the difference that he wants to make in the world and just saying, you know, he's, he's upfront about the people that is his LPs are and things like that. But it's more about like, hey, I want to make this difference in the world. And I think just knowing that that person is going to be part of your life is an important question to ask. And if yeah. they can't give you an honest answer, 
you know, maybe that doesn't matter to you, but but maybe it does. Yeah. And it's not, it's a situation too, where you don't, sometimes you might not need that info. I think there are many different types of founders. And in certain cases, I would say taking the leap and going for it and closing the check and getting started. That's really important. Sometimes it's going to be the right answer and it's going to speed up your learning. So ask the questions, but don't, don't be afraid or don't beat yourself up too. If it's a situation where you go to it, put the pedal to the floor, don't ask that many questions and just go for a quick exit or the first acqui hire you can get. I think that life is generally so difficult for founders that a lot of people don't want them to be uh, honest if that's what they want, which is just a quick exit. So if that's what is first and foremost in your mind, then don't worry about asking so many questions. But if you're you know, being very, very careful and calculated, then maybe you want to ask that one. I'm going to add a little addendum to that as asking them who their favorite founders are, right? Because if they talk glowingly about like, oh, hey, we invested in this company and it was someone that they were super proud of, well, why are they proud of that? Is it because they got a huge return? Like totally fine if that's the case. Sure. Or is it proud because that company is making a difference in the world that they they thought was needed? And And that gives you a benchmark too. That's, That's really, really important because if you don't have a benchmark where you have to know what the investor is expecting or what they deem as like, okay, this was a great result. This is a great return. I like what this team did. Here's why. Because yeah, this is a reputational game for both founders and investors and things can spread very quickly and you want to just be careful of that. So let's get into this reputational game stuff. Number 39 and 40 on the list are about reference checks. So you said to connect with three founders of successful companies they've invested in. And then you also said connect with three founders of companies that they invested in that failed. Why do you make the distinction between these two things? I think there are a lot of investors that turn not just silent, but uh, pretty nasty when things go bad. And that's something that doesn't get talked about, but it definitely happens. And you want to see like, what type of landing was it for the company? (laughs) Was it a situation where the investors were just harassing the founder, um, demanding things? Or was it a situation where it was like a soft landing for everyone? Consider both sides. And I think it's important to also ask the investor those same questions, right? Is once you do yeah. your reference checks, say, hey, what was it like working? Like, what, what was your takeaways of working with this company? You know, it, it didn't work or, you know, that they ran out of money or the reason why and just ask them this stuff. Yeah, because something else that doesn't get talked a lot about, too, is that a lot of investors are out of the even rather large investments they're making. You know, this the angel round, the seed round, even the series A is just a it's a very small chip, even like we think of series A as being like, you know, pretty large, but you're not going to get a lot of help at all those stages. And I think that's something that's taken for granted too, is that there's not going to be, you know, make sure that expectations around help are set early on because there's a good chance that your investor isn't going to take the investment seriously until they've committed a huge amount of capital. Yeah. And, you know, to backtrack to number 33, you said, ask how much they usually invest. Why is this important? Yeah, so certain investors who have certain fund sizes, they're going to be looking for on average anywhere from three to uh, top tier investors looking for you know, seven to 10x. And obviously they're going for more, but uh, if you can return 7x on a fund, that's, that's deemed like very, very impressive. So if you have the goal of like, if you have a billion dollar fund and it's expected that you're going to return $7 billion over 10 or 12 years or something like that, they're going to be looking to, on average, write 30, I don't know, 30 million, $50 million checks. So 
uh, and, and those are going to scale up too. So maybe that's not an average. Uh, point being, the different stages of life uh, of a firm's fund and the size of it is going to dictate how much they're going to be able to invest. And so if you want to raise a small amount, if you just want to raise an angel round, it's probably a good idea to get aligned with an investor that has, uh, that's writing angel-sized checks from a $25 million fund. Yeah. One of the things, and this is also just don't waste your time and don't waste their time, right? Yeah. Like that's part of the thing too, is um, when you talk to investors that typically invest at a certain size, like they do that for a reason, they have their own reasons, but like a lot of times, and this isn't like gospel, right? So there's, sure. there's yeah. situations where, you know, you talk to them, they're super interested and they introduce you to someone like that they know, maybe an angel or something like that. That's earlier stage, but they're, they're used to investing at a certain place. And if you're not there. So, yeah, I mean, you want to think about what percentage of their fund do you make up? Because that's going to be about how important you are. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. Your company like, value as like, yeah. Yeah. If they, if, if, if an investor makes 100 investments a year, then you're going to be in a portfolio of, you know, 700 investments at any given time, right? Yeah. So if you're a, uh, if they have a billion dollar fund and you're a company that's worth a hundred million dollars, like expect 10% of their time, maybe until you start getting in the black or somebody does in the portfolio. So, and the, the winners too, from each fund are going to be the ones that the investors double down on and triple down on, which as they should. So this is something too, where I think a lot of entrepreneurs are expecting a type of group camaraderie or something like that with other portfolios. Sometimes there, there's going to be that, but in most cases, I would say that's, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I think that generally there's like founder camaraderie about like, we're going through this together. It's tough, but there's also, you know, a lot of people that scarcity of resources sure. drives everybody's, the herd to be afraid of things. Everybody's tapped for time. So, so you said, um, you know, the world is made of language and there's a lot of language that investors use. And you said, what type of language do your investor use? Do they make vague, indefinite comments? Do they make, or do they make definite, strong statements? Can yeah. I speak about your business in a, in a future tense along with you? Why is that important? Yeah. So I was paraphrasing, channeling McKenna at the top there, the world is made of language, but it is in many, many ways. Yeah. So this is really interesting because uh, one of the best investors in the world uses as a test for founders, he basically says, okay, are they speaking in definite future tense about what they're going to accomplish, what they're going to do? As in, in 10 years, this is what we're going to do. In 10 years, we'll be here. In one year, we'll be doing this with this person because of this. And those are the people that win. If it's not definite in your mind, if you can't even imagine something being definite, or be crazy or courageous enough to speak it out loud, how is it ever, ever going to happen in the real world? How are you ever going to feel confident enough to achieve that outcome if you're not willing to say and make bold declarative statements about what's going to happen in the future? Your job as a CEO is to quite literally predict the future and your training amongst the other founders and in the VC-backed community is little, it's training wheels to IPO and then be put in a position where if you don't predict the future accurately with your whole team, Wall Street will penalize you. <laughs> so yeah, at no, the end totally. of the day, that's what uh, you're being asked to do is be a predictor, a correct predictor of the future. And you, you're not going to ever do that if you're not willing to speak 
yeah, entirely. I mean, and I would add on to that that they're they're training you to think like a big company, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah, what yeah, investors definitely. are constantly trying to do is I mean, that's why you know, all of this exists to grow fast, to grow within these timelines so that they can return to to their LPs. They want you to act and to think and to plan and to prepare like a company that's bigger than you are, like literally spending yeah. money that you're not making yet. I mean, that is quite literally the game. Yeah, it's the act as if uh, mentality pushed to the extreme and, and amped up. Yeah. Okay, let's do let's do some last ones here. Questions for for investors. Are they willing to get to know you well enough as a person, have context to who you are, do the right reference checks on you? to see if uh, if you're a good enough person to, to work with. I think this is a great reminder that you're going to be hanging out with this person quite a bit or a little bit. So why not make sure it's somebody you could be friends with, that you find yourself wanting to be, you know, send a message to, not when things are going horribly or when things are going great, but just in a friendly manner, basically. If that's not there, then you know why are you doing it, basically? Why are you getting a partnership with somebody? Anytime you're entering into a joint venture, like I think the going into routes where there's an aspect to be of friendship like that's just so important for the final thing of this i have it's not a question that you should ask your investors but it's it's a question that you should ask yourself how desperate are you to get the money (laughs) because i think that a lot of these questions (laughs) it's the right question right no it really is yeah like all of the past two episodes like these questions that we're talking about it all comes down to the fact that like, if you don't have the time to ask all of these, if you can't be patient enough and we live in a world, we get it. Like we yeah. totally get how hard it is and how hard raising money is and how hard building a company is. But, you know, and there's, there's trade-offs, you know, you're going to do all the research and potentially still, we've all yeah. been there. We've had bad hires. We've had, we've made bad decisions. It's not like life happens. That That's how it is. Someone who sounds awesome isn't awesome. Like this is, you know, as, um, as Steve Blank said, like you don't get a black mark in Silicon Valley for like trying and failing. But that being said, like the reason why all of this matters is because you do need to have patience with the fact that the first person who offers you a check might not be the right person. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not a, uh, the whole point too of this investing week and talking about these subjects is to just get you thinking more deeply about the topic and maybe, you know, hopefully it can uh, help you avoid some missteps because I think with investing and partnering with people and taking money in a serious capacity, there are many ways around that. You do not have to do that. There's loans. We talked about a lot of those methods earlier, but it's easy to lose sight in that and get caught up in this never ending bubble of raising money, which is not, it's the opposite of sales. And it's the opposite. Uh... Sales is way more hard by the way too. Let, let's stress that. So like Andreessen, everybody's famous for saying that raising money is the easiest thing you will ever do. I couldn't agree with that more. You're carving off pieces of the company. The thing that's much more difficult is sales because sales is where you're going to be faced with reality. It's not where you're going to be faced with, oh, next quarter we'll do, there's a little bit of that, but it's, oh, gen- totally. it's generally based on, can you deliver reality in the next quarter? And so if you're focused on sales, I mean, that is much a much better preparation for, for Wall Street or an IPO or any, a liquidity event than raising money. And I think that the same way, the same rigor that people put into hiring, people don't put into finding investors. No. And it's like, you can fire someone yeah. uh, if they're not a right fit. A lot harder to fire your investors. It can happen, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Yeah. 
And I think that, the, you know, these questions are, are really good to ask yourself and and to help you do the diligence on on these investors, because I think a lot of us gets some of the you know wide eyed look at the sticker price, check out people's websites, see a lot of the big numbers and get really excited about all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, like it needs to feel right for you and yeah. they need to feel right for you, whoever those investors are. Definitely. And there's a famous line too from Warren Buffett. And so Buffett was having this dinner with a uh, startup CEO and there were a bunch of other people at dinner, but he's talking to the CEO of a uh, very successful Silicon Valley company and his advice to the CEO which this is, I'm going to end with just my speculation on what it means, was basically so-and-so, nobody wants to get rich slowly. If you can be the one who get gets rich slowly, you just won't have any competition because everybody else will take risks that wipe them out. And if you can just get by, survive, and then you know get rich slowly, you'll be good to go. And I think that my, my speculation on that is this is a CEO who has raised a ton of money, just a, an absurd amount. And now they're at the point where they're diluted down very significantly and they're going to be expected to run that company for what, the next decade, <laughs> two decades at least. There's no getting out of it now. There's a lot of investors online. You can definitely bow out, but you're going to be upsetting a ton of different people. And I think that Buffett was basically saying that the raising money route is just slow down on it. <laughs> you can always do more of that later. I love it. Thanks so much to everybody for hanging out. Find us at the mission hq on the twitters let us know what you think of investment investing week yeah at steph postals at chad grills at ian Faison on twitter and instagram yeah thanks so much for listening and uh and for all the comments and stuff uh and emails and everything we love all you guys thanks so much for listening yeah oh one more thing what theme week should we do next oh yeah yeah, yeah. let us know let us know Mission.org is a media company with a daily newsletter, network of podcasts, and brand studio designed to accelerate learning. Head to Mission.org to get award-winning podcasts like The Mission Daily, The Story, IT Visionaries, Education Trends, Marketing Trends, Future of Cities, and more. Mission Studios has worked with companies like Salesforce, Twilio, and Katera, to create custom media channels that drive results. Make sure to subscribe to the mission's daily newsletter at mission.org. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.